Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silberman. And I'm Jane Crosby. Thanks for joining us again. We're excited about this week's interview. It was really good, right? Matt Gove, uh, Chief Marketing Officer for Summit Health. And, and it, was a great, it was a great conversation. You know, Matt has been part of the integration across CityMD and Summit Health. So they've taken this historically very large, very successful urgent care organization, and now they're integrating it across this integrated physician, physician network. And he has some really good insights. Yeah, I agree. It was really interesting perspective and a really interesting care model too, that I think will really serve the needs of patients in the greater New York City area in a way that we haven't seen successful really in the healthcare space in a, in a long time. So I agree with you and, and Matt had some perspective on physician marketing that, that I thought was really important for, for our listeners and, you know, no spoiler alert here, but, but we can talk a little bit about that piece for high acuity services. And then he also had some really good kind of brilliance at the basics focused guidance on the, on the consumer side. Yeah, I agree. On the consumer side, one of the things I thought was most interesting that we've been talking about a little bit with our with our clients lately is your website as one of the single most important things, if not the single most important thing to focus on as a marketer to make sure that you're communicating your brand, your services, your value proposition very clearly to consumers so they can make thoughtful decisions about where to consume care. Absolutely. And then on the physician side, you know, just just really some great perspective around the mandate of effective communications with physicians, particularly for high acuity services, where recommendation and referral from friends and family from physician are going to be so important to consumer decision making. Not that any of us ever forget that per se, but there were some really neat insights like one that I loved was direct mail is a huge engagement piece for, if not physicians themselves, front office at, uh, at some of the kind of referral patterns. And, and Jane, you keyed in on that as well. Yeah, I was really excited that Matt shared that because we Matt's a digitally focused marketer and, and has talked a lot at conferences and things like that over the years. And so hearing him talk about high impact direct mail as a strategy that's effective for physicians, I think is great. And it's smart because of what you just said. It's not just the physician who lays eyes on that. It's their front office staff and folks within their practice who are often suggesting referrals and helping to facilitate those referrals. Um, and I think by high impact direct mail, he means you know more than just a single postcard, um, communicating your services and your value in a more robust way through maybe booklet mailings, folded pieces, something a little bit more substantial. Some great opportunities, some great insights. Don't take our word for it. Let's get into it. Matt Gove, welcome to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled. We're thrilled that you're here. So, so where, where is here? Here uh, today, here is Atlanta. Tomorrow, here is Manhattan. Um, it really just depends on the day as to as to where I am. You know, the the organization I work for, uh, Summit Health, is the the product of a merger of two uh, New York based or New York metropolitan area based organizations, Summit Medical Group, which is now Summit, Summit Health as well. Um, and CityMD, which is the largest urgent care company in the New York metropolitan area. And so my office is in Manhattan, but we have tons of offices in New Jersey as well. We're all over the place. Gotcha. Good stuff. Well, and so so it's interesting. So you made the transition from Piedmont Healthcare 
to CityMD Summit Health, like right around end of end of 2019. And so you found yourself kind of going right into like a major, major metro area right at the beginning of COVID in, in a lot of ways, right? Tell us about, <laughs> so, tell well, us about that. So it's, um, uh, yes, I'll tell you about that. So uh, one though, of course, the, the, the fine people of Atlanta, which I am a native, would say that they are also a major metropolitan area, but- <laughs> but Good, good, good point. <laughs> but, but for COVID, you know, specifically New York obviously was the, the epicenter for the country. And, and so, um, and for a period of time in the world, it was really harrowing. But I, so I joined, so these two companies, CityMD and Summit Medical Group, uh, merged in uh, summer of 2019. And I joined right as the merger closed. Uh, so I was interviewing during the merger process. Uh, and so I was aware of it throughout that. And it was a, um, it's a private equity backed merger. Our our primary PE sponsor is Warburg Pincus, which is a uh, one of the largest PE firms in the world and a really excellent organization uh, that that understands healthcare and is uh, trying to help move the entire industry forward. And so, this seemed like a really exciting opportunity to to do some of the things that I've talked about throughout my time in healthcare. I've been in healthcare for about eleven years now, but this this idea that that the that you can attach this low acuity engine, right? This this urgent care engine that last year we saw four million patient visits just through our urgent cares. How and, and attach that to a really large and growing physician led multi specialty organization, and how do those two things work together? Uh, and without hospitals, but that's an aside. We can talk about the strategy behind the merger um, in a second. But specific to your question, so I joined uh, in September. So I um, I started in September, I should say, 2019. My children um, had already started school here in Atlanta, so the plan was to commute through the school year, and then in summer of 2020, the family would move to Manhattan. And in fact, by by early March of 2020, when when the concern over COVID had started growing, but we hadn't quite reached the point where everything was shutting down. We were in negotiation for a brownstone on 81st, which is a block from my apartment now, and, and going back and forth with the, with the landlord and really very, very close to, to signing and pulling the trigger. Um, and then it was March 12th, right? And, and, and so for me personally, I'm sure each of us has our own story about so what was that moment when they knew, oh, this is not like anything we've ever experienced as a society, um, at least in the, you know, anyone alive had really understood the impact of, um, it was March 11th, I was sitting in my apartment because I was working, you know, every week in New York and then back in Atlanta on the weekends. So March 11th was a Wednesday, I'm sitting in my apartment, I am watching something on television and the NBA announces that they've called off the rest of their season. And that was the moment for me when I was like, oh, oh, okay. So this, so this is a real thing and not just a real thing that's affecting certain parts of the country, but that our, our country was going to start taking it seriously as well. Funny that it was a professional sports league that actually led sure. the, the charge and not our federal government. Well, we won't get into that conversation. So on 
on March 12th, I went to the Marshalls at 79th, uh, roughly 79th and Broadway. I bought a suitcase because I'd, I'd gotten to the point of traveling back and forth where I didn't have a suitcase, right? I had stuff in New York, stuff in Atlanta. And so I went and bought a suitcase. I packed up a bunch of stuff and I thought, I'm, I'm not sure when I'm going to be back. I told everybody I'll probably be back in a month or so. I didn't actually go back to New York until October of 2020, right. so seven months straight in Atlanta. And um, it was just a, a really remarkable time uh, for us personally as a family, but then for as an organization uh, as well. And, and the, as you guys well know, because we're all sitting in our respective homes doing this conversation, um, that uh, you know the the way we work is completely different now. And so the the way that I the way that I work with my with my team and with my um, with my peers on the executive team for, of our organization is different. And it's not that I don't need to be present. Like I said, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but the home base doesn't necessarily have to be uh, in the New York metropolitan area, which was assumed prior to me, prior to me taking the job. Taking the role. You know, I would like to stay on this, this piece of it for just a second, because in a way, you're way ahead of the kind of reacclimation to physically being back in the office, then well, you're certainly miles ahead of me, right? So I'm I'm in my office in in Charleston. We left Chattanooga in, in March, um, and and have nobody's been really back to the office since, except for for a couple of people. So you're you're halfway back, right? You're you're still telecommuting. You're remotely in Atlanta today. You said you'll be in New York tomorrow. So what? what's it like? I mean, are there, there are significant differences in how you're managing your day and what it means to be physically present now, nowadays? I'm, I'm interested in like, why do you have to go to New York? <laughs> you, know? Um, because, you know, for, well, a couple of reasons. One, we are, uh, we're humans. <laughs> and so direct interaction with the people that we work with matters. Um, you know, on any team, trust is the foundation necessary for people to be successful. And trust, it's hard to, to build trust without some direct interaction with your team. People that you work with every single day, it's easier to build that personal connection um, when you can spend time together. You know, it's, it's and I'm sure you've, you've felt it all in, in different aspects of your lives, right? But the those moments of sort of quick conversation where you get to know someone better don't happen anymore, right? Those sort of serendipitous moments in the office where you're talking about television or movies or music or other sort of cultural references, sports, those don't happen in the same way anymore because we're not together. And so our interactions become very uh, businessy, right? Very focused on the task and, and, and you can't drop in. So, being present does give me the opportunity to to have those um, occasional moments of interaction in the office. I will tell you that our you know our our main offices are not uh, our main corporate offices. You know, obviously our clinical practices are all full as they always have been. But our our corporate services, our support services for the organization, those offices are not full. Um, but there are people there and it's, and it's great to see faces and to check on people and see how they're doing and have those conversations. And then secondarily, if you can't have those conversations during normal work hours, uh, 
um, you, you, by being present, you do have the opportunity to say, hey, let's grab lunch. Hey, let's, uh, let's maybe we'll meet for a drink after work. Let's just catch up. And, and so um, that's, a, that's an important piece. And then for our executive team, remember we are still a, a relatively young organization. And, and while I think we've done an extraordinary job of merging these companies in the midst of you know, a crisis like no one's seen in a century, we still need to find opportunities to be in the same room with each other. Yeah. And so I've talked to my, my boss, Jeff Labinger, who's the CEO of the organization. He's, he and I are, have said the same thing to each other, which is we just need to be in the same room with, with each other once every couple of weeks, probably as an executive team. We've, we've gotten good at the Zoom thing. We've gotten good, we use Microsoft Teams. Regardless, we've gotten good at the video meeting thing. We've gotten good at communicating electronically. Um, but being in the same room with each other um, will ultimately help us be a more effective, effective team. Um, but the rules of office work are changing, right? There's just, yeah. there's no two ways about it. And that's not specific to us or marketing. That's for everybody. Sure. It's really, it's really great, great perspective. You know, we're, we're still fully remote as I, as I mentioned, as a, you know, leadership group inside the organization, we've gotten great at the Google video meeting, but you're right. I mean, there really is no substitute for, it feels partially contrived all the kind of personal banter <laughs> that we we communicate via Zoom and Google Chat compared to you know breaking bread together or spending time you know over a cup of coffee that that, that mm -hmm. has not been possible for a lot of us for a long time. Matt, you've obviously accomplished a lot at CityMD and Summit over the last year or so. Anyway, I'd love to hear kind of in your view what the vision is for the organization. You talked a little bit earlier about the opportunity to take a very low acuity focused engine and support that and really evolve that. I'd love to hear where you guys are headed and what you have planned for the next year or so. Sure. So yeah, the thing that intrigued me about this organization, now CityMD already had a really great reputation uh, in, in terms of a, a more of a retail-like platform for urgent care. And um, while it's certainly not retail, it's medicine, but it's still um, from real estate to other points, it, it occupies a different space than, than most organizations uh, that do medicine have. Um, they also had a great reputation for knowing how to uh, help their patients find the next step in their care. So I've, I've been obsessed with, uh, with low acuity care uh, since, since the day I, sh I showed up at Piedmont. And, and to me, that is the, that, that front door um, has been relevant for, for at least a decade. And so knowing that this company was so good at it was really attractive to me. Um, and the idea of, of attaching it to a, a a well-formed multi-specialty network that um, had been around. I mean, uh, Summit is more than 100 years old. It has been in their communities in New Jersey in particular for, for that long, and uh, but has been experiencing fairly rapid growth uh, in the past decade. So these two really interesting high-growth organizations um, coming together with, and, and not to... <laughs> say this nicely for my friends in hospitals, um, not to throw shade on, on them, but without the baggage or, or the gravity, maybe is a better word for it, that hospitals bring to an organization mm. um, was, was a 
super interesting opportunity to me because it's um, having worked in hospital organizations for most of my healthcare career, um, they do tend to suck up a lot of the oxygen in the room. And we don't have that. We have, we have physicians that work in hospitals all the time, but, but we don't have to manage the actual operations of a hospital. So anyway, um, that's the background. It's a little long-winded and I apologize. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. So, but that background is important to me because it's, it sets the stage for where we can go. Um, we just launched uh, in, in mid-March, we just launched our new both sort of system level brand and it's the multi-specialty brand called Summit Health. It was previously called Summit Medical Group. And, and so we're, we've, we've launched under a single brand umbrella. CityMD retains its current brand, but is now a Summit Health company and sort of gets a, a closer connection um, from, a, from a brand uh, identity at least. Um, but now that rolling that out under this idea of connected care, which is really the thesis for the organization, which is how can we connect all the points for you, right? We've got 80 different specialties inside of Summit. How do we better connect points of care for you as a patient? How do we, so that you don't have to navigate this on your own, right? And so we've got that, that urgent care, fairly transactional business covered. And, and so your daily needs can be met, but when your daily needs become more chronic or regular needs, we've got a primary care physician org that can, uh, that can better manage you and be the quarterback of your care. And then we've got all the specialties you need um, across our organization. And so this is a, um, this is a pretty, uh, lots of organizations say this about themselves. We th think it's a fairly unique uh, approach because it's, um, People may have tried this at some level, but not many organizations um, without hospitals have had the scale that we have, right? And, and, and also to do it in the largest metropolitan area in the country um, adds another layer of challenge and it makes it more interesting. Sounds like a really exciting opportunity. I can tell why it was intriguing for you to take on the new role. One of the things I really wanted to ask you about is obviously Minneapolis, more so Atlanta, are very diverse communities, but to me, nothing really compares to the New York metropolitan area. Can you talk about how that's impacted both the business strategy of the brand and then the rebranding and marketing strategy overall? Yeah, sure. So it, you're right. It is, um, it's striking, right? And, and regardless of where you come from in the country, it's it's hard to find a place as as diverse as New York and in both uh, demographically, racially, culturally, it's just everything, right? It's a, it's a big melting pot. And one of the things I love the most about New York is, is that we've, we've packed so many people into such a small space <laughs> um, that, that folks, they really do figure out, and I know that there are exceptions to this, people have really figured out how to live together, right? How to, how, how to make all of this work into, into, embrace uh, differences. So, you know, this past year was, was challenging in a lot of ways. COVID obviously was extraordinarily challenging to our organization and our business being in the epicenter of it, having it be most prevalent and most deadly in communities of color across uh, New York, especially in uh, Queens, 
uh, Bronx in South Brooklyn, it was, um, that was, that was hard for us. You know, the majority of our employees are also people of color. Um, and so um, we are able to connect to our communities in a way that's authentic and real. Um, but is also when something like this happens really sort of devastating in, in lots of ways. In the middle of 2020, as you guys know, um, we had the, the George Floyd incident and all that came with that. And the, I think the heightened, uh, what's the right word? Awareness, I guess, or the sort of heightened sensitivity. And for, for one of the first times in, in my life that, that I can remember at least is this corporations really tried to step up and, and make and take a stance um, specific to uh, racial justice and social justice to say um, this, we all need to add our voices to, uh, to the calls uh, for, for justice. And that was a, um, that was a big moment for our organization as well. Cause again, as I mentioned, you know, the majority of our employees are people of color. And so um, we have a lot of people inside of our organization who felt really strongly that we should say something. And so we did, right. I mean, we took a stance that said we support um, obviously our own uh, staff, but really anybody in our communities who um, who's, who's seen this sort of struggle and pain that comes from this lack of equity um, and that we committed as an organization to, um, to be a, not just a voice, but an actor for equity, starting with ourselves. Um, and so that last summer, we took the extra step of creating um, a senior vice president uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and, and a department around that that helps us understand our own blind spots as an organization and also helps us be sensitive to the needs of all members of our communities, and it, particularly the healthcare needs, obviously, because that's what we do for those members of our community that may not have sort of felt seen or cared for in the way that they want. And so it's, um, it's, the events of the last year in particular have shaped us. Um, I think our communities obviously inform who we are and how we treat uh, treat them and, and everybody who works uh, for us. I think the specific to the New York metropolitan area, it's, it is also as much about the, the opportunity to, to, set a, to set a national example for what's possible. Um, because, and it's funny, you know, uh, living and working in Atlanta my entire life, I don't know that I ever had as, as full an appreciation as I do now for the way that the media based in New York really do set the entire agenda <laughs> for, for the country. And, and you know, CityMD gained national prominence during COVID uh, because it was the urgent care that people in the media walked by every day and saw every day. And they saw the lines and they saw the, the need for testing. Uh, they saw the waits. We became an example for how long it took to get your um, test back, which really was a lab problem, not a us problem, but it, it all sort of got woven together. So I think what's exciting about being in this location is that if, if we build what we're planning to build, if we continue to build, I should say, what we're, what we're building, um, we might be able to show the way for a lot of organizations 
in this country as to how you build this, this integrated uh, network of care that, that ultimately can provide all of this, the basic transactional healthcare that every person needs at the same time, builds a really sophisticated digital centric population health model which will allow us to, to have a different relationship with payers and employers um, than most healthcare organizations do. Eric, you're on mute, but I think you're Yeah, talking. it looks like you're talking. Sorry, this is, this is my new specialty. I, uh, I'm really interested in talking a little bit about the physician side strategy of this. You, you've articulated the, a bit to us about the business strategy and, and the vision for this, this integrated network, it's, uh, it's striking to me to think about what I presume is a big opportunity of changing physician behavior inside that network. I think about referral patterns that we see among physicians for a lot of our clients. And in an environment like yours, where you've merged these two organizations together, and you're really building something significant in terms of opportunity for care delivery, and yet I imagine you've got tons and tons of doctors with deeply trenched patterns on how they mm -hmm. share, share business. I, I'm interested in kind of your point of view, um, recognizing this in your first rodeo, right? On how, yeah, to, it, how to move, yeah. that, move that mountain, so to speak. We, yeah, this is not the first time. It's not the first organization I've worked for where, where that's a, that can be a challenge. I can tell you that the, you know, the, the further we get and down uh, down the road of consolidation, right? The further that the market gets down the road of consolidation, um, with big health systems uh, attracting more physicians, with large groups like us attracting more docs, the, the it's a, it becomes a slightly different challenge, and and so for us, a, the blocking and tackling is the most important piece. So, do we? It's basic too. It's super basic, as I'm sure you guys know. Are our physicians aware, <laughs> like actually just basic awareness of the full scope of the network? Do they know all of the docs, particularly in their geographic region, um, that that they are able to refer to quickly, easily, same medical record, like all the benefits that an, that a patient would get from from that referral? Do they know? how to do that, do they know who to go to, have we made it easy for them to find the, the right referral? Because I, I, I think everyone seems to agree at this point, I believe that, the, that staying inside of a network has benefits for the patient, right? That, and that's, at the end of the day, that's why we're all here doing what we do, right? We're, we're trying to serve our patients and our communities. We're trying to deliver the, the best care that they can get and to try to deliver care that helps, that keeps them healthy, right? that, that doesn't make them have to come back to us anytime soon. And so improving our outreach capabilities, right? So adding like direct physician outreach liaisons, people who can go out and spend time in offices um, improving our electronic referral capabilities. Um, so right now, that's mostly about what's the, the physician directory that you can put in people's hands, right, on this, this device right here on, a, tele, on a, a mobile device of some sort, or 
um, it's either an app on a phone or it can, they can go to the website, but how do we make that easy for a doc or their staff uh, to find the right people to refer to? And then super, I mean, mixers, like basic events, like, hey guys, let's, let's meet each other, know each other so that it's easier. And so where the real challenges are for an organization like ours is as we expand and grow and attract new docs to our organization, some of them are specialists in markets where we don't have a strong primary care base, sure. right? And so how do we help those practices be successful by, by expanding on the relationships they already have in those communities? You know, once they join us, do some of those referral those referral relationships decline because the, because the referring physician works for a health system potentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're not as comfortable referring in to us for fear that they might not get that patient back. Right. So how do we make sure that they understand every primary care doctor understands we want you to be the quarterback of this patient's care, whether you work for Summit or not, but when they need, orthopedic, um, oncology or other care, we want you to know we're here for you and can help you. So that's, we are in the, we're in the, we're in a constant turn of integration and integrating new practices and then in introduction, right? And how do we keep that stuff going? One of the things that we've started to think about more and one of the, we did this at, at, um, at Piedmont is to, and particularly in, in during COVID, right? This is sort of a unique period is to doing really high impact direct mail, right? This, this idea, mail for a certain segment of well, patients is a different thing, but for a certain segment of, segment of patients, mail really works. Um, and people forget that sometimes. It, me as a big proponent of digital, I can even forget it sometimes. But then for docs in, in their offices, um, they do get tons of mail, um, but that front office staff, the people who see the mail first, if you can design something really big and high impact, um, that can help you raise awareness of your services inside of their inside of their group. And so we did that at Piedmont. Um, we went through an unfortunate period there where uh, due to some downsizing in the I'd say 2013-ish range, um, we didn't have a huge physician outreach group anymore. And we had to figure out how to continue to get the word out about our services. And so that was our creative approach to, to doing that. And we're doing it here at Summit as well, because we feel like there's a it's it's a it's a good way to do it when you don't have as as many salespeople on the ground as you'd like. I'm really glad you brought that up. We a lot of our clients ask us about physician email strategies. And I personally would much rather do direct mail because of what you just said there front office staff gets it, reads it, and sees it as well. And they're often the ones making that referral or suggesting it. So good stuff. We'll be sure to ask our audience to listen to that piece. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you about, Matt, you've accomplished a lot at two really complex organizations over the years and obviously had a strong team behind you. I'd love to hear from your perspective what you look for in terms of skill set, personality traits, backgrounds, et cetera, when you're building a team that can accomplish all of the things you need to accomplish. Sure. So I used to be that person who didn't want healthcare experience because I didn't believe and hadn't seen, I should say, a ton of evidence that a lot of healthcare experience made you a better marketer. But one thing a lot of healthcare experience does make you is a better understanding of the complexities of our organizations and 
the peculiarities of the physicians that we have to, um, that we, I shouldn't say have to, that we work with and, and we have to work for and, and keep happy, right? Um, if you say all the time, if I were if, if I were running a retail store, the thing on my shelves uh, would be doctor's visits, right? The physician services are our product and those physicians are, they are the product. And so I never forget how important they are <laughs> to the work that we do um, or the services we offer to our, our customers. I mean, they are central and core. And so, so I, I think a, having healthcare experience on the team is important, but I still am looking for people who have been successful outside of the industry. And um, my experience with that has been uh, mostly good, a little hit and miss. People don't always adjust uh, well, but some of the best people that I've ever worked with, um, including uh, Andy Chang, who, is, who was my head of marketing and physician outreach at Piedmont, who is my head of digital marketing and strategy uh, at Summit now, because I convinced him to join me or join us, I should say. He came from outside industry. He came from airlines and UPS, and sort of have, having a a really solid experience uh, marketing uh, directly to customers or directly to businesses because we do both B two B and B two C, but for other industries and seeing how they do it and seeing the tools they use and sort of bringing a, a different mindset in is is helpful. And and now that I've been inside healthcare for. 11-ish years now, 11 or 12 almost years now, I do feel like I've gotten, I have enough experience in the industry that I can, I can help, I can help bring people up, right? And so the, it, it becomes even more important to me that we, that we're, that we're bringing in outside talent um, and, and trying to help them just navigate the, the sort of interesting and weird things about our industry. Good perspective. I, I like what you shared about B2B experience as well being really important because it is a big part of what we're doing in healthcare. Uh, it's more important. Honestly, it's, I, I, um, it's more important. It's far more important. And I think if, if I, I had this conversation with another friend of mine recently, like last week, one of the things, one of the great things that's happened in our industry over the past decade is the sort of the the uh, the broader adoption of a consumerist sort of mindset, right? And then the belief that consumers matter, right? The actually putting the patient at the center of some of our decision making, which I don't think was necessarily true or as broadly true in the industry as it is now. The downside of that has been the widespread adoption of B two C marketing tactics in service of B2B businesses, for instance, cancer, <laughs> orthopedics even, certainly cardiology or, or cardiovascular services. These are not things that people wander in off the streets and just buy. Sending somebody, uh, pinging somebody with digital or, or traditional advertising around your high-end specialty services um, is a waste of money. There's a total waste because those patients find their way to those services through referrals. Physician referrals primarily, but also friends and family referrals. But guess what they never do? I shouldn't say never. The 
the rare exception might, but what almost none of them do, these patients, is just sit down in front of Google and start typing, right? And, and start, oh, I gotta find the best. My, my doctor just told me I have cancer. Let me go find the best. That's not, it's just not realistic. And honestly, even for primary care services at this point, it's not realistic, right? That we, this process started a while ago, but we were sort of in this hyper evolved world now where um, referrals for everything matter. People won't buy a pair of pants without asking 10 of their friends what they thought about their last pair of pants. They sure as shit aren't gonna, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> they sure as shit aren't gonna choose something as important as uh, life or death medical services without checking with other people. And so um, B2B marketing is the thing that keeps our organizations going. B2C marketing is critical for those, for those walk-in services like urgent care, right? Having a strong consumer brand for urgent care is important um, because that is a walk-in business. But once you move into the appointment-based business from primary care on, um, it is on a spectrum of a little bit, a little B2C to no B2C. Um, and I, that's, thanks for letting me go on a little diatribe there, but that's one of the downsides that I've seen is this consumerism picked up a lot of steam and that was great, but then it, it resulted in a lot of people doing a lot of expensive, um, but ineffective consumer focused marketing tactics. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure part of it too is that B2B marketing is just hard and it's hard to prove the success of it. And so it's it's easy to gravitate towards the fun digital consumer strategies for sure. Can't prove the success of that either though. Go That's ahead. True. <laughs> That's true. Good stuff. Matt, it's been great having you. Before we go, any kind of digital tools on the horizon that you're investing in right now that our audience should be thinking about or trends that you're seeing in either B2B or B2C marketing? Yeah, we are, we're really working hard on um, trying to merge some of the, the CRM and other digital tools that are really important for us from a, a marketing and relationship management perspective, right? How do we stay in front of our existing customers and try to um, build loyalty and a relationship with them? How do we better merge those tools with the clinical record so that those tools, because that's one of the things that, that people can forget, which is that the same things you need to do to better manage a population's health are the things you need to do to build a relationship with a customer. And so using these marketing tools in service of, of a patient's long-term health and not just in terms of the patient's loyalty is a, that's a direction we're going as an organization, really building this sort of combo marketing, not marketing, but a relationship and clinical sort of care model together on top of a digital platform. So that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I think the, the use of, of conversational AI is important in helping people navigate to the right places. But I gotta tell you the basics, the basics are still not being done well by most of us. And so um, like websites, it, it sounds trite and easy and simple, but for any healthcare marketer, your website 
is probably the most important tool you have because that's where every single potential customer comes to validate what they've been told by a doctor, a friend, or a family member. And so how you present information, how you make it easy to navigate, how you allow the physicians and services to highlight who they are and what they do in a way that's easy for a customer to understand. It couldn't, that to me couldn't be more important and feels like it continues to get short shrift uh, across the industry as everybody pursues the most sophisticated you know, digital advertising approaches. Not that we don't do that and that we don't think it's important, but I think an, a, a solid approach to the basics um, does as much for your organization as, as anything else. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of opportunity across the industry for organizations to improve their websites again. Any personal stuff you're really looking forward to this summer as the world opens up, events, trips, anything fun? <laughs> for our pregame conversation, uh, the Brandy Library, if anybody's in New York, you should go down to Tribeca, visit the Brandy Library, especially if you enjoy uh, whiskey or other brown liquors. Um, I'm going to be spending some time there. Uh, yeah, I uh, spend a lot of time in New York. I, I'm looking forward to going overseas again, you know, when they let us. Actually, when we're allowed back in <laughs> to the country after visiting other places. But I, I, I'm more than anything, uh, last night we had some friends over on our porch and um, just to hang out and talk and, and catch up. And I think just reestablishing those relationships with people that you haven't been able to see as often as you would like, that to me is uh, is the most ex exciting part of of this this next three to four months of great weather and to reconnecting with with the world. And so whether it's whether it's in Atlanta or New York or somewhere else, uh, tropical and lovely, it, to me as long as we're doing it with somebody else, it's been great. Good stuff. I totally agree. We can't wait to get back into Canada. So I'm with you. I hope they let us back in soon. Yep. Yep. Good stuff, Matt. Anything else you wanted to share with, with our listeners before we let you go? No, that's great. No, um, I, I appreciate you guys asking me to, to, to join you. I really had fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. You're welcome.